Oh, all right, ladies and gentlemen, lovely to see you and be speaking to you again, depending on whether you're watching on YouTube or listening on audio only on Spotify, iTunes, or somewhere similar. It's lovely to be speaking to you again. Either way, it's Connor Rhodes, your personal and private nutritionist, and welcome back to News of the Week once again. Today, it is a different kind of episode. I am sat here in the studio on my own, ladies and gentlemen, as you may be able to notice if you're all on YouTube, but you'll soon be finding out too if you're on the audio because it's just me and you. Today, ladies and gentlemen, there's going to be nobody else speaking on today's show because everybody's cancelled on the plans. We were supposed to have two guests. We were supposed to have two guests and we've got exactly zero. Of course, we were supposed to have Will the Powerful Hukin, but he literally just cancelled due to unforeseen circumstances. It's a good job that I love him so he can get away with murder, ladies and gentlemen. So I'm not too annoyed. It's all right. Sometimes things happen, don't they? Sometimes things happen. He's not here. Cancelled literally five minutes ago. Um, and we were supposed to have Dan Kavanagh. He cancelled this morning too due to business circumstances, which are, again, I love this gentleman and I will let him off. It's okay. One thing that's for sure, ladies and gentlemen, is I don't let you down. Aren't you flipping glad? Aren't you glad for the consistency, ladies and gentlemen? I take this podcast seriously, I take helping my people seriously, and I try my best not to let you down. I'm, I am sure I am also, though, in the future, not going to be on 100% consistency, so I don't hold it against people. But, but, just because the plans aren't going to plan, that doesn't mean we can't move forward at all, does it? So I've not changed the camera setup. Usually when it's just me on video, I have it, I have the camera more zoomed in so you can get like a a front view, <laughs> a frontal viewage of me. But no, I've got the side cam. I've got the two-person cam still on because I was expecting Will, obviously, right now. And he just texted me saying, hey, he's not going to be able to make it. I thought, well, the show must go on. The show must go on. Regardless of quality or outcome, the captain, I, shall sink with the Slim Society ship. If we, if we have to go down, we'll go down together. I've got the news articles prepared. We've even had a listener question come in. And here we go. Hello and how are you? Today's date is the 7th of September, which means it's only two weeks and three days until my birthday, ladies and gentlemen. My birthday is the 24th of September. Not that when you've had as many birthdays as I and I'm sure you have had, it really matters that much, but it's just nice to make a little note, isn't it? Survived another year. I hope you have a nice birthday when yours appears. My week overall, yes, thank you for asking. It's been quite nice. It's been okay, thank you. Um, work's been relatively normal. This week, I've got some business stuff kicking off with Westfield Health, where I'm going to be presenting the Six Steps to Slim Lectures to businesses on behalf of Westfield Health, and I'm going to be helping a whole lot of new people in a whole different way. So that's good. That's actually tomorrow. And I've still got so much work and setting up to do for that situation, but I'm so excited and ready and prepared. I'm born ready to talk to people about calories, ladies and gentlemen. Do you even know who you're dealing with? Do you even remember who you're dealing with? Can you imagine me talking to somebody about calories, even if it's at a business? You definitely can. You, you, I'll talk to anybody about any nutrition. <laughs> I'll chew your ear off about eating healthy, won't I? I've been enjoying the sun. I don't know if you can tell. Not really on the camera. I'm still not looking too tanned. I'm looking a little bit bronzed for me, being a paleman. Paleman being one word. I actually have Scandinavian genetics. It turns out from the 23andMe, which is a genetic ancestry testing company, if you've not heard. I quite like it. I don't know the accuracy of it, to be honest. I don't know the accuracy of it, but I like the idea of it and I choose to believe in it. <laughs> and it said that I am fully English, of course. I was born in Rotherham, meaning I am a Rother dog. Shout out to Rotherham. Um, <laughs> I think I might be the first person to ever say that. But I now live in Sheffield because everybody who can leave Rotherham does. So... <laughs> I'm half joking, but also half not joking. So I now live in Sheffield. Um, <laughs> and that makes me, of course, fully English. My Most of my family are from Barnsley. That's not a Barnsley accent. I don't know what I just tried to do there. Barnsley. Most of my family are from Barnsley. So we are South Yorkshire. So no, <laughs> that, that doesn't sound right, does it? Sheff how? If you're from South Yorkshire, what are you? 
South Yorkshireite or South Yorkshite. Does not that does not sound correct, does it? You can't you can't be a South Yorkshireer, can you? Are you a Yorkie? No. A South Yorkie? No. I've never heard any of these terms. So what are we? Like some people are Brummies and some people are Scousers. Some people are Londoners. Does that just make me a South Yorkshire? It's a good question, but my family are from South Yorkshire. It said that my family have been in England or Britain since approximately 1900. And then before that, it said for a short time, French slash German. And then for all time before that, fully Scandinavian from the 1800s before. So it seems like my ancestors were largely Scandinavian in some format up until the 1800s. And then some of those people decided to move to the French slash Germany area and then made their way in 1900-ish from France slash Germany to the Greater Britain here. And now here I am with you, ladies and gentlemen. So that makes me have almost the palest of all the genetics, but I still do like to enjoy the sun. The summer this year has not been the most fantastic, has it? Last year was amazing, even though it was locked down. I remember being outside and enjoying the sun a lot and getting a nice little tan on. And the year before that, I remember that being great. Now I live in an apartment without a garden, which is a downside, but I used to live in a house. The apartment I live in now is much nicer than the house I used to live in, so I much prefer it and I'm much happier. But I chose... Well, I didn't choose, but I liked all the features of this other features of this apartment so much that I chose to accept not having a garden as a downside that was worth it but the year before I did have a garden and a hammock and oh it was nice oh it was nice and that it was a really nice summer then I remember spending a lot of days sat in the garden and barbecuing and hammocking and enjoying the weather and I've been doing that again this week apart from that I've been looking after my six steps to slim members I do video personal training with not too many clients, I just, I enjoy it. I do a little bit of that on the side. So I have a couple of video personal training clients per day where I coach people via video through their exercises at home. Usually they have some basic exercise equipment. Usually it's beginners who are just getting into exercise and I coach and help them through it and I really enjoy that. So I've been doing a little bit of that. I've been seeing friends. I've been doing my exercises like a good boy. I've been eating healthy, except for the fact that yesterday I did make an absolutely phenomenal cookie dough. Um, the recipe was from Joshua Wiseman on YouTube, which if you ever want to, if you're ever looking to make fantastic recipes, mostly, I'm not gonna lie, of the indulgent variety. And I'm not talking only junk food, but like breads, pastas, pizzas, d definitely different desserts and stuff like this. This guy, Joshua Wiseman, W-E-I-S-S -S something, A-N, <laughs> I assume, something. Google it, it comes up easy. He's very famous, millions of followers. You might've even heard of this guy. Videos decent, recipes phenomenal. The guy also seems lovely. I like the recipes, I made his let me just Google what it is because so just so I can get the name correct. Not I shouldn't get the name. I shouldn't be talking about this at all to you, should I? Somebody who's trying to eat healthy. But I'm just honest with you. I just tell you what I'm up to. Um, w e i s s m a n. Yes, I've spelled it correctly. It's Levain Cookies. Apparently, this is famous in America. L e v a i n. Levain. 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 Levain, something along those lines. Chocolate chip cookies by Joshua Wiseman. Absolutely great. If I had a little bit of advice for my preferences, he says to use 60% dark chocolate, and I did, I would have used a milkier chocolate, but that is just for my preference. But that might make it very sweet, yes. Sort of overly sweet for some people, for me, impossible. There's no such thing as too sweet, literally. There is no such thing as too sweet for me. I made those cookies for myself and a very dear friend of mine. Luckily I made four of them because two I ruined by, this is another tip if you make these cookies, you need to leave them on the tray for a few minutes to cool slightly, then put them on the cooling rack like he says for a few minutes. I tried, I moved them from the tray to the cooling rack too fast. Um, and then the bottoms, which are supposed to not be very well done to keep their melt in the middle sort of cookies. So it's supposed to be not super well done on the bottom. It does crisp up slightly when you let it cool though. Um, two of them, the flipping bottoms fell through the cooling rack and I thought, oh my God, that's embarrassing. Um, 
But luckily I made four, even though we only wanted two, because I planned backups just in case of eventualities such as this. So that turned out lucky. <laughs> that turned out good. So my week's been good overall. Anything else? What about you? Leave me on comments, leave me on questions. We've actually got a question coming from a listener today. Um, and I really appreciate it because people do listen to this podcast and people do like it. We are slowly just gaining followers. So please, if you do like this show, please give it a little like, leave on a comment wherever you are or share it with some friends or something. Because there's just no other way that any people really ever find out about it. I enjoy doing it. People enjoy it. We do get some feedback, but not much. Um, but we're, we're a new show, so I'm just hoping for a little bit more if possible. So... Leave me on some comments, leave me on some feedback if you can, thank you. A listener did send in a question, um, because on one of the shows recently, I'm not going to lie, I can't exactly remember when it was, I was talking about the history of exercise, it might have been last week's news of the week, I'm talking about the history of exercise, it just came up at random, oh I believe it was, because I believe I was talking to Will about the Greeks, and we were talking about how gymnasium, gym, is a Greek word, and the Greeks seemingly invented exercise, or they say they invented exercise, but, one second, I'm just going to take a little drink. I've been in the sun for two or three hours before this, so sorry, I'm feeling quite, and I just jumped in the shower as well before coming on this show, after being in the sun and getting a little bit too warm, so I'm feeling quite dehydrated. You actually sweat more than maybe most people would expect when you're in the shower. Like, sometimes... Fighters like boxers who are trying to lose water weight to become a certain weight to weigh in. You know, they're trying to lose water weight and then they'll rehydrate so that then they're... Bi anyway, <coughs> it's just, they, they sometimes get in the shower to lose weight on purpose and it only loses water weight. It only dehydrates you through sweating. So don't think, ladies and gentlemen, that I'm suggesting that getting in the shower makes you slimmer or lose fat faster because it doesn't. You just sweat a lot. But I've just been outside and then in the shower and I'm now talking to you, all of which lose moisture from the body so i just needed to take a drink then and i might need another one but anyway the greeks have pretended to invent a lot of things you know do you remember from school do you remember pythagoras theorem you remember that something about triangles <laughs> i believe let me just google it and check i'm getting that right because i'm not a flipping mathematician pythagoras theorem here we go um in mathematics, the Pythagorean theorem, or Pythagoras' theorem, is a fundamental relation in Eleusidian geometry among the three sides of a right triangle. There we go. I knew it. Something about working out the sides of a triangle. Okay, then. This thing, not invented by Pythagoras. Not invented by Pythagoras. Um, I don't even think he said he invented it. I think the name's just been attributed to him afterwards, and nobody knows why. The Greeks pretended to... Invent a lot of things. They, they, they got a lot of the stuff that they talk... Or, or other people have then found, I don't know, attributed it to the Greeks after, I'm not sure. But they got a lot of their information from the ancient Egyptians, you know, who were slightly before them. The, the Greeks used to travel to ancient Egypt and talk to... I don't know what you call an ancient Egyptian scholar. I don't know what they would have been. Magical, mystical men. And they had this giant library called the Library of Alexandria there. Um, a little bit later on where they tried to collect all the knowledge of the world and there was, I forget, but some inordinately large amount of scrolls kept there until the entire thing burned down and all the information was lost to history. But, um, but the first evidence of exercise we do have does seem to come from the Greeks where they did have gyms and they would exercise in the nude, of all things. Most people think for social equality. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what their society was like, to be honest. But they appreciated the human physique and definitely had some kind of fascination with the naked body, didn't they? And so did the Romans later on after they got into it a little bit more. Um, always with the naked statues or the half-naked statues and phalluses are sorry to be crude. But it's just true, isn't it? Like, have you, have you been to Greece? Maybe some listeners will. Have you been to Greece on holiday? When you go into the classical Greek shops, like where you buy the ornaments and the pottery, there's just penises in place. All the time, isn't there? All the time, isn't there? <laughs> I don't know why. It's not for me, personally. It's not to my preference. It's definitely to some people's preference, isn't it? Not to mine. I don't know what the ancient Greeks were thinking in that area particularly, but... 
They definitely exercised. The Romans seemingly exercised. A listener asked me then, what happened after that? And I thought, oh, good question. What did happen after that? Good question. To be honest, it wasn't something that I'd ever really thought about too much. What I do love history. I love people and the history of people. I like exercise. I'm at, I or well, I'm not doing it personally, but I am a fan overall and a professional in that area. So the history of exercise, yeah, okay, I do find this quite interesting. So the Greeks were exercising, the Romans were exercising. What happened after that? I thought about this for a while and had heard nothing of this and had no evidence for this. I looked it up online and kind of confirmed what I already thought would be the case, seemingly. And there's not much evidence for this, so I'm kind of speculating, but I have done some research. Seemingly, it died out, you know. So the Greeks and the Romans were exercising, but then after the fall of the Roman Empire, which was somewhere around the year 500, let me just Google it, fall of the Roman Empire, let's see exactly what it was. Come on. Uh, oh, 395 AD, it says. Oh, oh, oh and, and then it says, and by 476, um, the Western Roman Empire had no effective control over the scattered Western domains that could be still described as Roman. So, I don't know. Around the 400s up to 476, I thought so. It was around the year 500, because around the year 500, the Dark Ages begins. <clears throat> Which is now wrongly attributed terminology, you know, because it's called the Dark Ages, not because it was dark. What do you think happened? Everything just cloud over? No, of course not. It's because the Romans, they they wrote things down a lot more than the tribes, let's call them, or <clears throat> sort of Picts and the Romans called people Gauls. That's one of their names for people, isn't it? I'm not sure if it was the Anglo-Saxons. I'm not, my history's not, but the Anglo-Saxons were also around that, that time as well. I'm not sure if they were, but anyway, all these people either couldn't write as much or just didn't write as much, but the Romans did. They liked to record a lot of things. So all the Roman doings and goings on, there's evidence of this. There's writings and stories and we know about philosophers and this and that, and what they thought and what they did. Everybody else, not really, not that much. So then the Romans expanded out from Rome, obviously, Italy, isn't it? All the way up to the Scottish border. You know, Hadrian's Wall. That was the furthest, most northern, obviously not the most left or right, <coughs> excuse me, but the furthest, most northern point of the Roman Empire. And the Emperor Hadrian got all the way up there to nearly the top of Scot nearly the top of Britain, sorry, to where um it's not exactly where Scotland is now. It's not exactly the border now, I don't believe, is it Hadrian's Wall? I've never personally been there, but it's in that area. And then they found apparently and accordingly, they found the land above that area too harsh of terrain, and the Pictish tribes Called, Picts were called the Picts because the Romans called them the picture people because they painted their faces blue. Like if you've ever seen Braveheart, that is, and they paint their faces blue, that is a wrong historical attribution. Um, the Scottish people never painted their faces blue. It was actually the Picts who were it, a thousand years before, because we're talking year 500. William Wallace is what year? Let's Google it. More like 1,500? Well, let's, I'm guessing, let's, let's find out. Oh, a little bit before, 1,300. So it'll have been 800, all right then, 800 years later. Um, they weren't still painting their faces blue then, but the Picts did. They tattooed themselves with all kinds of different like tribal patterns accordingly and would go into battle naked sometimes just to, not because they didn't have armor, just to be scary, literally just to be wild. And they would use horses and chariots and come running really fast with the, well, well, the horse would be running, the person would be charioting, I'm not sure if that's the correct word, but charioting towards the, <clears throat> towards the Roman army. And then they, they would go really fast in a line all together, all these chariots with horses. And apparently, you know, in the past back then, this is something I never really thought of, but I guess it kind of makes sense. Apparently horses back then were a lot smaller. 
They were like ponies. But even people back then were a lot smaller because they had less food and not as good nutrition and not as good science and things. So apparently the horses and the people were smaller. I just think that adds a little bit of, I don't know, feel to the scenario. <laughs> I just, I don't know, imagine all these mini, it's not, they're not mini, but half-size horses <laughs> and not tallish people. Um, it's like some Lord of the Rings kind of battles were going on back then, but it was actually real. They would charge towards the Roman army, army on these chariots and then turn. They don't, they don't, they don't run into them. Like if you've ever watched movies where there's a battle and then a, a line of horses charges at another army and the horses jump into the army. In real life, that never happened because horses are actual living beings that have consciousness. And like in the film Braveheart, they have really long spiky sticks, don't they? And they hold them up. And then I think it's the, it must be the English. They charge forward on horses and then, ha, ah, the, the, the Scottish people pull the sticks up and then the horses jump into the sticks and, ha, ah, it's a big battle. And that's how the war begins. In real life, that never happens because horses just don't run into walls or people with swords and sp holding spikes or screaming walls of people or big wooden spikes. They they automatically turn or stop. So the, the, the big spikes, or the big wooden spikes, can't exactly remember what they're called long spear long floor spears we'll call them you can see how actually in-depth my history knowledge is here can't you the long floor spears were a real thing but what they actually did was stop the cavalry charges not spike the cavalry charge while the horses jumped into it so the horses regardless anyway gets to get back to the story and there is a point to all this i know we're not talking about <laughs> we'll get to the point eventually i guess but Hope you're enjoying history time with Connor Rhodes, not a historian, literally, flipping nutritionist here. So what are we even talking about? But I would consider myself amateur hobbyist armchair historian. Deadly serious. <laughs> I love... I don't know if I love history second most to nutrition or health and fitness, but it could be. It could be an argument. It could be taking second. Um, maybe philosophy would be second. Maybe history would be third. Yeah. After thinking about it for a moment, I would rank, maybe rank it those ways. But anyway, anyway, the chariots would race toward the picked people, some naked, some painted, some tattooed, screaming, some with shields, some with glorious armour. They were not poor people by any... They were seen by the Romans as savages. However, they are also biased, and we don't have any Pictish writings or real history at all really it's only real vague sketchy information and a lot of it comes from the romans who wrote about them obviously biased against them and not understanding their culture or thoughts or feelings or anything like that at all were they but some of they were not poor and some of them had excellent glorious wild armor and they kind of had wings on their helmets and stuff like this sometimes and all kinds of cool stuff going on the horses would then turn at the last moment to the left or right and all the big line of horses and chariots would swing left past the big line of Roman soldiers and as they did this they would throw spears very fast and aggressively and hard throw these spears so they charge towards charge 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 and then turn to the left and then as they turn to the left javelin and they would <laughs> they would javelin the Roman army and apparently it was very effective and scary and the Romans did not like this at all they liked none of this <laughs> and the Roman soldiers found this very scary and they found the the Picts and their gods and culture and everything very scary and didn't like it so instead of trying to just kill them and take over all this crazy land and crazy people they just built a giant wall they thought we'll just build hadrian's emperor hadrian literally said build my wall i don't know if he called it hadrian's wall he might have done maybe we just call it that maybe they just called it the wall <laughs> i don't know what they called it um something in latin would it have been that they spoke let's go let's google it what language did the rope yes it knows what i want what did the Romans speak? Latin! Yes, here we go. <laughs> Look at me, I do know something. I do know something. I'm not sure what they called it, but they just built Hadrian's Wall. Um, so the story, anyway, the story was going about Romans taking over the world. They expand out from Rome. They get all the way up to Scotland, basically. They build a giant wall. They decide, screw that bit. That bit's too intense. And then the Romans and their soldiers do settle in Britain for a long time. And the Roman people and the not British or English people, but the people that were here back then. Um, again, the, Britain or England weren't places then, but the people that were here then, you could class them as English now in our terms because they were on this island. But 
they weren't called English, if you understand. I'm not entirely, I can't exactly remember what they were called. They, those people and the Romans, it might have been the Anglo-Saxons, but those people and the Romans, they kind of became one and everybody settled down and the Romans built loads of villas and became, we became very Romanized and all the cultures sort of ingrained. And it was really good and things were prospering and going well and people seemed to like it, or at least the Romans seemed to like it. Because <laughs> again, we're the, they're the only people that we... I've really got writings and <clears throat> opinions and real history from, I guess. Opinions and real history from. Eventually, anyway, the Roman Empire falls and Britain is the furthest northern sort of outpost for them. And they retract all the soldiers and all the people. And everybody just leaves, literally, in apparently year 476 or something around there, just around 500. The Romans just leave. And after that, it becomes the Dark Ages. And it was called the Dark Ages because everybody who could write left. You know, so there's, there wasn't really much evidence for anything that really happened for probably, I don't know, probably about 500 years until the Normans started coming over and Vikings and stuff started happening um, slightly earlier than that. There's evidence of those things a bit kind of getting more and more from that point. But for a couple of hundred years, there wasn't really any evidence. So people thought that nothing really happened or that everyone died or that everything just went away or that the country just fell into ruin or something. And this turned out to not be true. It turned out not to be true whatsoever. <coughs> Sorry, seem to have a little bit of a dry cough while I'm just talking to you today, so I apologize for that. But it turned out not to be true. Now archaeology is a lot better and they found so many amazing houses and burials and treasures and stuff from these specific quote-unquote dark age times that they know that well, the world carried on and things continued to flourish people just it took them a while to get back to learning how to write things down again it seemed or to invent or change language or for and and books and stuff and scrolls and whatever people used to write on back then papyrus <laughs> whatever it was these things don't survive well across like 1,000 years, do they? Only things carved in stone do. And what do we really carve in stone? We don't really carve much in stone. They didn't really carve much in stone either. So most things get lost. But in the Middle Ages and when the Romans leave, things do become different. The Romans and the Greeks had an affluent culture, a culture that was relatively stable. People had free time. People had specified jobs. They had scientists and philosophers and bankers and gamblers and hairdressers and cooks and cleaners and politicians and a government and, you know, kind of stuff like we've got now. It's kind of not that dissimilar of a society. Um... So this is what allowed them to exercise, and this is maybe also what required them to exercise too, because that allows you, because they had enough food and enough money that everybody didn't have to just constantly be a farmer and struggle to survive. People could have free time and do specialized jobs, which allows for culture and science to exist. This also allows for people to have sedentary jobs and to have access to lots of wine and nice tasting foods, which they did back then. The Romans even had sort of, they had desserts and they had takeaways and they had street food and they had chefs and different stuff to us because all these same ingredients didn't exist, but some things that were not that dissimilar. Some things that were not that dissimilar. So then there becomes a an ability to exercise, an availability to exercise, an appreciation of exercise and a need to exercise as well through the lifestyle and culture change. After the Romans leave and the quote-unquote Dark Ages begins, and then if you can imagine after that, it kind of goes to the Viking Age. They're around the years like 800 to 1000. Then after that, it kind of goes to like the Middle Ages for quite a long time, like from probably like 1000. This is not the actual technical terms of the Middle Ages, but from like the years 1066, isn't it? The flipping Normans. They're Vikings anyway, the Normans, if you look at it. The flipping Anglo-Saxons are Vikings anyway, because the Angles and Saxons who made them are Scandinavian Viking tribes. The, the Normans were Vikings who mixed with the French and then became the quote-unquote Normans. And then, so the Anglo-Saxons are in Britain, and then the Normans come over and take over in 1066. So the Anglo-Saxons are Vikings anyway, and the Normans are also Vikings anyway. So everybody's Vikings anyway. And you, if, if you want to just, I mean, I don't know if you know this, but if you want to understand some absolutely crazy... British history. This to me is unbelievable. <clears throat> you know, the Normans come over, it's William the Conqueror, 
isn't it? In flipping 1066. Battle of Hastings, was it? And all that business. Do you know the queen that we've got now? Still the same family. What, sorry? William the Conqueror came over in 1066, took over, won. Won one battle, won a battle. Still, his family owned the country. It's been nearly 1,000 years. I'm deadly serious. Look it up. William the Conqueror, 1066, unbroken line of rule and conquer. Nobody came and took over Britain ever again. It's been nearly a thousand years. The Queen and the Windsors, quote unquote. Our royal family now <coughs> are literally the same family of William the Conqueror of 1066. That's just wild. It's one of the, it's what I can't even, it's just crazy talk to me. I mean, it's real. It makes sense. Somebody's got to be in charge. But they've been in charge for a thousand years. But after, anyway, William the Conqueror comes over, and it's like people with swords, and it's knights and stuff. That goes on way past the year 1500, probably until more like 1700 or 800. That goes on. You know, people with swords, and there's peasants, and farmers, and blacksmiths. And if you've ever seen A Knight's Tale, one of my favourite films. Um, why? Why do I always blank on film and actor names when we're on podcasts like this? Who's it? It's Heath Ledger, isn't it? I've not Googled it. I've remembered. I was trying to think, who's the beautiful gentleman? Um, the late, great, and amazing Heath Ledger, wasn't it? In A Knight's Tale. It kind of goes to those times. For a long time. For hundreds of years. For hundreds of years. And people don't really have the ability to exercise that much. Because it's not as high of a society and there's not as much free time and leisure and luxury. It's more like farmers and blacksmiths and stuff like that going on. People having active jobs and less food and not really needing to exercise and not really wanting to exercise or really having the time or freedom necessarily to do that kind of thing. So exercise kind of died out until probably the Industrial Revolution or something like that. I don't actually know. I don't actually know. Definitely in the early 1900s people were exercising. Before that, I'm not entirely sure. So probably until the Industrial Revolution when again society changed and things became a lot, specialized, a lot more specialised and people got more freedom, then exercise started to become a thing again. And now here we are. It's a new tool for a new world that we live in. So anyway, I can see on the podcast that that's a 32-minute history talk and lesson. <laughs> With Connor Rhodes, not the historian. But thank you for that listener question. What happened to exercise after the Greeks? I hope you I hope you enjoyed that. Let me know. Leave on comments and questions. Let's do some news articles then. I'm going to try and not take too long, hey? Let me just get another little drink as well. <clears throat> you should stay hydrated too if you can. All right then, and if you want to know what I'm drinking, if you can see on camera, it's called Get More Vits. It's got a big vitamin D on the front. It says, supports healthy bones. It says, it's a still drink, because personally I don't really like carbonated drinks that much. And it's flavours of mango and passion fruit, which, let's be real, are lovely. It's sugar-free and it's only five calories per bottle. Why did I pick this? Because I was making a packed lunch and I was getting ingredients to make sandwiches from Tesco's. And I thought, ooh. <coughs> Sorry, I really do have a cough today. A little dry cough going on. So I apologise for that. Um, and I just saw it at Tesco and I thought, ooh, a bit of vitamin D. It says it's got 200% of my NRV, which stands for Nutrient Reference Value. Do you remember it used to be RDA? used to be um, Reference Daily. Wait, why have I forgotten what RDA stands for? Flipping. I've just remembered. <laughs> I nearly googled it. Recommended daily allowance. <laughs> Sorry, I've just touched the microphone as well. <laughs> I can't believe I forgot that. Something so basic. Hilarious. Recommended daily allowance. They had to change that because now, you know, we've found out that all different people need all different amounts of different vitamins and you can't actually recommend a daily amount for each one. You really can't. So they've changed it to nutrient reference value, which what does that mean? Quite obscure. So a lovely drink this anyway, five calories, tastes nice, mango and passion fruits in a white bottle, get more vits, I would recommend it from a supermarket near you. Let's get into some news articles then, and again I'm not going to spend too long on each of these, I'll just read out what's going on in the news this week and we'll have a little chat about each one. Article in Indy 100, title, pizza for breakfast could be a better option than some cereal, says nutritionist. 
pizza for breakfast could be a better option than cereal, says nutritionist. N well, I mean, I say maybe. I mean, it depends. I can think of some instances where pizza would be better than cereal. Like if you were trying to gain weight, maybe. Or if you had a big exercise session that morning and hadn't, I don't know, later that day and hadn't eaten many calories for a while, maybe that'd be a good reason to get in some calories extra. <clears throat> you know? Pizza for breakfast could be a better option than cereal, says nutritionist. Let's find out why. Oh, please pray tell. Pizza for breakfast doesn't sound like a bad idea. Is that what it... That's literally what the article says. Sorry, I'm just... I'm going to literally start again. It literally says pizza for breakfast doesn't sound like a bad idea. I mean, it kind of does. I mean, it depends what context we're talking about now. This is an article in Indy 100, so I don't know if we should be... It's not exactly nutrition advice necessarily, is it? mainstream media. Pizza sounds like a good idea if it's the morning after a big drinking session. <laughs> That's the only time. It's like warming up. Really, it's awful, isn't it? Next morning, dry takeaway pizza. You know, if you microwave takeaway pizza, though, do you know what you should do? You should only put it on for 20 to 30 seconds and you should put it upside down on the plate. Believe me, I found that out being a student. If you put it the correct way up on the plate, the bottom will end up soggy and the top will end up cold. If you turn the pizza upside down, I don't know whether this works for good pizzas, <laughs> but it works for takeaway pizzas, which are hard and dry in the morning. If you put it upside down on the plate and do it for 20 to 30 seconds, then it makes the bottom soggy, which when you turn it back over is the top with the cheese. That's the bit we want to be soggy. And the top stays dry. I mean, the bottom, which was the top. Anyway, I shouldn't be giving you this advice. You should throw away your secondhand pizza and not eat it. Eat, eat something better for breakfast. They say, after all, it does taste better the next day. Does it? Answer me that question, does it? Some things taste better the next day. You could have said chili, I would have gone with you. You can say lasagna, I might go with you. <clears throat> what else, spag ball, stew perhaps. Yes, maybe sometimes. Maybe a curry, if it had time to, again, stew. Let's use the same word. Mmm, pizza though, is it better the next day? I don't think so, not for me. I make my own pizzas from hand. I, You should see me in my little chef's pinny, looking cute, proving my dough. I prove it the day before, leave it overnight in the fridge. Take it out, let it prove some more. Divide the dough into two, let it rise again. I do it all properly. I make my own sauce from... Italian tomatoes, which I strain the seeds out of and then make it nice and smooth. Add a little bit of puree, some salt, pepper, a little bit of garlic, oh, a little bit of olive oil, basic natural ingredients. <clears throat> I don't want to, I will eat my pizza the next day. It will be nice because I make great pizza. Is it better though? No, I want it fresh straight out of the oven, thank you, but... <clears throat> Let's continue on. Well, now, according to one nutritionist, a slice of pizza can actually be a more balanced breakfast option than some sugar-filled breakfast cereals on the market. New York dietitian Chelsea Amer or Amer, not sure, told ABC News, a slice of plain cheese pizza, why plain cheese? Contains a balance of carbs, protein, and fat. I mean, I mean, it contains a balance of carbs and protein and fat. It's not a good balance of carbs, protein and fat. Let's be real. It's quite a lot of carbs, loads of fat, and not much protein whatsoever, especially plain cheese. You haven't even got meat on it. Could at least have some, I don't know, <clears throat> chicken, which is probably not real, depending on which takeaways it comes from on top of the beat. But if you make a good pizza, I would put actual real chicken on top of my pizza if I was doing it. If I was making one for you, you'd be very happy because I use all proper ingredients because I love you. But when you feed, I don't want to feed you flipping poor quality items. She says, a bowl of sugary cereal with low fat milk is largely sugar and extremely carb heavy. I mean, that's true, but it's not more carb heavy than pizza. How many calories is it for a bowl of cereal? I mean, if you have 30 grams, like it says you should, but don't pretend you do, stop it, weigh it out. You have more like 75 to 90 grams. I know you do, weigh it out, just check. You have three times as much cereal as the serving allowance. Still, how many calories will that be? 300, some milk, all right, 350, 400. 
<clears throat> that's the same as sometimes one slice of pizza, maybe two. So yes, okay, cereal is just carbs. Sometimes it's fortified with a few vitamins and minerals. Is it a good breakfast? Not really. Is it the worst breakfast ever? No, it's not the worst, it's not the most processed thing. You could eat chocolate or pizza. Is pizza better than cereals for breakfast? It's probably way more calories. Is it more protein? Slightly. They both are not good though. You just can't say either of them is going to be good protein really, can you? <clears throat> the pizza would keep you fuller for longer, but only because it's got more calories, not because it's better quality food or more protein or really more fiber necessarily. It's just literally more calories. So of course you'd stay fuller for longer because it's a lot more food. So which ones? This is just a silly thing to say, isn't it? This is just a silly thing to say. So let's talk a little bit about what should you eat for breakfast then? And then we'll move on to the next article. Firstly, you should always eat foods that you enjoy. So you would you should always eat whatever's best for you. Like some people literally, especially some fitness people, they eat literally like meat, like steak for breakfast. And I have tried this and it's not for me. <laughs> it's not for me. Sometimes I have to wait a little bit after I wake up because I just, even if I'm hungry, because I just don't feel like I can just eat something immediately. I know that's crazy to some people, but some people don't naturally eat breakfast if you you don't have to eat breakfast. You know, breakfast is not the most important meal of the day. That's That was a marketing slogan by Kellogg's. I'm not even exaggerating. It was a marketing slogan by Kellogg's that just got branded around so much that it became part of our actual social belief that breakfast was the most important meal of the day and it's just not true whatsoever. All meals are of equal importance, except if you exercise and then the meal after you exercise is the most important because after you exercise, your body has higher nutritional requirements than any other time by a significant portion. Apart from that, all meals are the same. <clears throat> it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter what time of day it is, your body just absorbs all the food that you give it and does what it will with it. Doesn't matter. So what's best for breakfast? Firstly, something that you enjoy if you do enjoy breakfast. If you don't, you don't have to eat it. You can have nothing for breakfast and that's perfectly fine. We only really eat three things as humans, like it just said in this article. We eat proteins, carbs, and fats. The best one by far is protein because it's easy to eat carbs and we already get way too many fats in the Western diet. So the best one to focus on for us is protein. So if you can get some form of protein in a morning, that is great. Your body is also primed to absorb protein really well in the morning and to use it for healthy purposes because you're in like a semi-fasted state by not eating for a good amount of time. So you're really sensitive to the amino acids that are going to be going into the system. Insulin levels will go up, but in a good way for a good reason. All that protein will be absorbed into your body and it'll do great things. You'll stay fuller for longer and you'll be starting the day off with really good nutrition and good healthy habits. That'll be fantastic. So if you can get some form of protein in, that's amazing. I like to put a little bit of protein powder into some porridge or I eat a few eggs and a little bit of toast or something. Sometimes I'll just have a protein shake. Sometimes I'll have a protein shake and toast. Sometimes I'll skip breakfast. Those are the things that work for me. Um, one day I had heck chicken sausages on a little bit of some small toast, 60 calories, a, a heck chicken sausage cut in half long ways and then fried on both sides. The Italian versions, the Italia versions, sorry, not the plain versions. Don't buy plain versions of flipping chicken sausages with no flavorings because then it's just literally a chicken sausage with it's just chicken doesn't taste like anything it's not good <clears throat> for it to taste like sausages they have to do things to it add herbs and spices so get the italia versions and they're really nice um or i also enjoy linda mccartney vegetarian sausages i think they're very nice um, a little bit of toast a little bit of i use flora light butter light for the calories and flora for the lactose because i'm lactose intoler intolerant and watching my waistline Get a little sausage on there of some variety cut in half of an egg on top, an egg on top, a little poached or a little fried egg using not much oil and fry light on top. Sometimes I do sunny side up or something and a little bit of ketchup. That's my preference. And oh, baby, maybe that's too many calories for you, but that's flipping phenomenal for me. I had that last week as a little treat, but a nice little healthy treat. So anyway, let's move on from this talk of pizza or cereals for breakfast. If you're starting with pizza for breakfast, it's downhill from there. You've started off the day, your first choice of the day is junk food. Most food choices probably from then are not going to go well. It's going to be hard to go back to eating healthy, like having, oh, I'll have some salad for lunch. Will you when you had pizza for breakfast? Probably not. You've already started off in the wrong direction, haven't you? <clears throat> And should we be having cereals for breakfast? You can if you want. There's nothing inherently bad about cereals. Just 
try and get some protein in there. And I wouldn't recommend you buy protein cereals specifically. If you if you do want to add protein to your cereals, get protein powder, mix mix it with milk in the shaker, then pour that. So you know, so that it's already mixed in. Either vanilla or chocolate flavor is probably best if you're putting it on cereals. Mix it in a shaker with the milk, and then pour the protein shake already mixed up into with the milk and the powder mixed together. Then pour that into the cereal after, so that it's at least mixed properly. Um, and you're at least getting a good quality source of protein in a good amount there. Rather than protein cereals that you buy, they just have a little bit of soya added and it's lame. It's a lame amount of protein in, an, in not the greatest form ever of all time. Not the worst, but not the best. <clears throat> all right, anyway, next. Anyway, next. Um, next news article title reads, Man breaks world's longest plank record despite painful condition. Article reads, a man smashed the world record for longest plank by holding the excruciating position for hours. He achieved this despite battling a painful condition called CRPS. Um, chronic something pain syndrome. Let's see. Yeah, let's Google it. CR, just so I'm not getting this wrong. Um, no, I'm wrong. Complex regional pain syndrome. Oh, I thought chronic something. <laughs> I, didn't, I couldn't remember regional. Um, complex regional pain syndrome is a poorly understood condition where a person experiences persistent, severe, and debilitating pain. Mm, this guy's arm hurts a lot and they can't identify why. Essentially, Daniel Scally, Daniel Scally, could be Danielle, I guess. <laughs> it looks like Daniel Scally managed to plank for nine hours and 30 minutes and one second. What? Nine hours and 30 minutes? I mean, it's a world record. I mean, well done. But also what? I hope he watched movies or something. I hope he loves podcasts. I hope he listens to the Slum Society show. Oh my God. The Australian man trumped ex-Marine George Hood, who set a target of eight hours, 15 minutes and 15 seconds. Eight hours, 15 in February, 2020. So this is an ongoing plank war. And this Daniel, Daniel Scally just beat the previous record by one hour and 15 minutes. I mean, okay, you can do that if you want. You can see who can hold themselves on the floor slightly on the floor, but without your hips touching the floor and then hold it there. I mean, you can do that if you want to for nine hours, sure. I'm sure it did something, you know, but it's not for me. I don't know if that's for you, ladies and gentlemen. That doesn't sound like it's for me. And I would like to give you a little bit of advice about the plank um, before we move on to the next article. My advice for plank is please don't after you can do more than like 30 seconds, don't continue to time your planks for longer. Especially if you're getting up past one minute, you know. The idea of all exercises is not really, except if it's cardio, which the plank isn't because you're not even moving. The idea of resistance and strength and toning exercises, which is what you'd be doing plank for, is not to do them for longer, it's to do them harder, isn't it? Like for bicep curls, you don't. See, nobody ever times how long they can bicep curl without stopping. On a very lightweight or body weight, and do people time how many, how long they can squat for, without stopping? Some people time how long they can hold themselves in a wall sit halfway down a squat for for absolutely no apparent reason. Again, you know, if you pump for longer than a minute, it's. Doing it, going, oh, I'll do two minutes, oh, I'll do three minutes. This is not really doing much. You're working on core endurance, or really you're just training yourself just to hold that position for longer and longer and longer. What's that going to do? Really, if you can plank for longer than a minute, you need to start making the plank harder. You need to go up off of your elbows into the full press-up position and start doing a full plank rather than a half plank. Because when people think plank, they think, oh, on the floor on your elbows. Yes, but that's technically a half plank. The full plank is a little bit better because it works your shoulders and your full arms more. You go up into the full press-up position, so you've got arms straight in the plank position. Like you're about to start doing press-ups, except you don't move. Then after that, when that becomes too easy and you can do that for a minute, then you need to start walk go into that position and then start walking your feet backwards away from your hands to lengthen the distance between 
between your hands and your feet. This is your making your core like a bridge. And if you imagine you're extending the two sides of the bridge, the legs on one side and the legs on the other side, your hands and feet in the example, further away from each other, this puts more and more tension on the center of the bridge and makes it harder. So you don't want to just plank for longer and longer. This is not really doing anything. After you can get to a minute or really past 30 seconds, in my opinion, I would start making it harder, not longer. I would start moving your feet back and increasing the amount of tension and, and difficulty that it takes to hold the position so that you're actually still building strength and not just training to plank for a long time, which doesn't really achieve anything. Unless you're Daniel, Daniel Scally, then you'll get a world record, which is something. Isn't it? Someone's got to plank for the longest, I guess. <clears throat> I'm glad it's you, Daniel Scally. I'm glad you're a real person doing these things for us so that we don't have to. Um, and then after you, you can do the extended plank sort of thing, um, and that gets too easy. You need to do the ab roller. Do you remember that? Ab roller. It, it used to be like QVC <laughs> home training equipment that you'd, you'd buy it off like the TV adverts. Ooh, the ab roller for training your core at home. And you kneel down and then you roll it out in front of you and then roll it back. You know, if you actually do that properly, it's really freaking hard. Like plank is level five core training, let's say. The Aberola is level 1000. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. It's like you're on level five, you do levels one, two, three, four, five, and then when you when you can hold yourself on the floor, you do a plank, it's for beginners, planks. Aberola is not for beginners. <laughs> it's not for beginners. You need extremely strong back muscles. You need extremely strong lats. You need extremely strong triceps. You need strong wrists. You need strong lower back. You need strong core. You need extremely strong lower back and lat muscles. It's crazy, it's so hard, but the ab roller comes after the extended plank. If you can do more than 20 ab rollers in a row, your core's flipping amazing. Um, after that, start doing the ab roller from your feet. Anyway, let's move on. Article in the Daily Mail, famous this week. Cardio and fasting won't make you lose weight. All right, well, that's not true, is it? And... The article continues, why you should never drink a coffee after your workout, celebrity fitness guru reveals the key to losing fat. I'm not going to read this article because that is the that is just an absolute load of crap, isn't it? Cardio and fasting won't make you lose weight, it says. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? I mean, cardio is not the best way to lose weight. We've been through this a thousand times, but it's your second most effective tool for fat loss. You've only got two tools. We're going to disregard one of them. Straight away, we've only got two. There's eat less or move more. There's diet or exercise. That's it. Is cardio or exercise the best thing to lose weight? No. It's, I don't even know what percentage effective compared to a diet is, but not very. Not, not, literally not very. <clears throat> and it says fasting won't help you lose weight. Fasting is one of the most effective forms for, for long-term, short-term, quick results, safe results, healthy results. Fasting's good. Intermittent fasting is one of the most popular and successful diets that exists. So stop talking, please, whoever wrote this article. And why you should never drink a coffee after your workout. Shut up. It's a tiny little bit of caffeine. What's it going to do? What are you going to talk? I've not even got the link to the article because I just don't care about just this... I'm going to swear, sorry, but it's just bullshit and minutia. What could you really say? Please convince me. What's, what is in coffee? Argue with me. I dare you. What is in coffee that's going to stop my positive exercise adaptations after exercise if I drink a bit of coffee? What is in coffee? Is it the water? Because that's helpful hydration. So it's not the water. Is it the antioxidants? Shut your mouth. Why would it possibly be the tiny bit of antioxidants? Stop it. It's not going to attenuate my exercise performance is it is it the caffeine oh what's that going to do is it going to stimulate my central nervous system or release a tiny bit of adrenaline stop it it's a coffee you think i can't deal with it do you know who you're dealing with you think a coffee is going to slow or stop me come on i'm using it to speed myself up dear anyway sorry don't be ridiculous cardio is good it's good for your health it helps you lose weight it reduces appetite for some people um, it helps you with your motivation it helps you with mood and mindfulness it helps you with stress levels it's flipping good everybody should do it if they can fasting everybody doesn't have to do it i don't do it but i have lots of clients and members that do do it and it is a safe and efficacious method of health and weight management in the short term and the long term <clears throat> 
All right, just two more then. We've been on 54 minutes, so I'll just try and summarize two more and then I'll have done a nice little hour with you here and I hope you've enjoyed it. If you've enjoyed this solo news of the week, please let me know. Um, I've enjoyed it, to be honest. It was easier than I expected. Obviously, I do a lot of solo podcasts. I do a lot of solo videos and stuff like this, but I've never done a news of the week solo, but I've enjoyed it. Please let me know what you think, if you think it was worth it. Um, or if you got anything out of it. Okay, so article in Grazia. Article entitled, How Often Should You Exercise to Get in Shape? And again, I'm not going to read out the article. I'm just going to tell you. I'm just going to tell you what the truth is. If you exercise zero, you get zero results. <laughs> I know that sounds obvious. Just going to take a drink one second. If you exercise never, you get no results, don't you? If you exercise once... You have to times zero by in infinity to get to one. <clears throat> so if you exercise once per week, you get infinitely better results than zero times. So even once a week is great. So, you know, if you think you haven't got time or you can't, oh, I can't do this three times per week, you don't have to. If you, do, if you exercise once for one hour, if you trained with me <laughs> in real life or on video call, I could get you out there in 45 minutes if we do it right. And if you try hard, you can get results, I guarantee. You will build strength, tone, improve fitness, be healthier. 100% definitely, I guarantee. Maybe not forever, but we could get away with once a week to get you to at least... A, you couldn't make progress forever and become like super powerful world's best athlete on one training session a week, of course. But we could get you into a healthy shape. We could make it work it. We could make it worth it. We could do it. We could make it work on just once a week. If you exercise twice a week... And, and I probably I probably started a little bit too early in this conversation. If you exercise less than once a week, could you make could you get results and make progress? Yes. Is it going to be difficult? It is. For me, I would class once a week as a minimum. And if you think you haven't got time to do once a week, you might be right. But you might also be wrong. Because you can exercise while you do something else for a start. Do you ever phone your family or watch TV? You can exercise while you do that. You can literally go to the gym, take your phone or your iPad. Loads of people do it. Put it on the treadmill. Some treadmills even have TVs built into them. Watch your TV program or something while walking on the treadmill or while doing some cross trainer. I like the cross trainer because you don't bounce up and down. You're just smooth. You know the one that works your arms and your legs. It's like the ski machine. It's great. <laughs> you get a real sweat on. You get your arms and your legs burning. You can push and pull it. You can do your calves, your bum muscles, your thighs. It does loads. You don't have to, you don't bump up and down. You're not like, it's not like running. It's not blasting your ankles or knees either. You can go faster, slower. You can increase all over the resistance. It's great. Or do you listen to podcasts or anything like this? Or could you walk, walk to work or walk with your family or walk to the shops or... You know that people who exercise, it's shown that they are... What percentage was it? I feel like it was 20 or 25, so I can't be quoted directly, but there was some percentage that exercises were proven to be more productive overall throughout life than people who didn't exercise. So even if you exercise, it, it, it gives you increased energy levels, increased focus, increased self-worth and self-being. Um, <coughs> self-worth and well-being. Sorry, it's self-being. <laughs> self-worth and well-being. Increased feelings of health, increased motivation, increased gusto and get-go, literally. And you get more done in every other facet and area of your life. You even live longer and you'll live longer and healthier at the same time. You'll have improve, improved quality and quantity of life. You will literally get the time back in productivity and physical time for the exercise that you do. It's like a time machine. The hours that you put in exercise, you get them added on. Not directly, but proportionally. You get a proportion of this. I'm not entirely sure how it works out. It depends for each person, doesn't it? But you get that time and life back at the end. That's how unbelievably worth it is. If you exercise twice a week, then, you probably get maybe even double results. Maybe not quite double, but a lot more results than exercising once a week. It might even be double in a lot of instances. If you exercise three times per week, you don't get double again. But exercising three times per week is 50% more exercise than twice a week. Do you get 50% more results? You might do. I don't know. It depends how hard you work on each session. Depends how many skills versus strength versus muscle building are involved in the activities and the goals because these all have different abilities to be improved. But one is flipping amazing. And if you can just do one a week, you'll make an unbelievable difference to your life. If you can do two a week, 
I've had, I've had so many clients who only trained with me once a week and they didn't do any other exercise apart from that and they got great results. Their knees stopped hurting, their lower backs stopped hurting, their mobility and movement gets better, it helps their weight loss, it helps their motivation, they tone up a little bit and they feel better. I've had so many clients train with me twice a week, so many, that's probably the most common when I was a full-time personal trainer. People would come see me twice a week. Some people would do an extra session on their own, sometimes they would do it some weeks, sometimes they wouldn't, a lot of people just wouldn't. Twice a week though, great, you can get fantastic results. And then if you want to come three times a week, good, yeah, you'll get a little bit better results. Any more than that though, you know, not really. Not really. If you want to exercise more than three times per week, you would be better off doing variations of different exercises. Like in most instances, to be honest, unless you're an ultra specialist for some reason. But even a lot of pro athletes, any form of exercise really more than three times per week, you'd be better off doing something else. You know, like if you're weightlifting more than three times per week, you can if you want, but you don't have to. You won't necessarily get better results. If you want to exercise more, you can, and it'd be great, but you probably should swim or run or yoga or, you know, do sports or something else that suits you as well so you can get more benefits. More's not more. <clears throat> not when you're just working on the same thing. So try and exercise once a week if you can, ladies and gents. If you can do twice a week, that's amazing. If you can do three times a week, good for you. That's great. More than that, just up to you. What do you think then? What do you think? I was going to do another, because um, I've got another interesting article, but I'll just save it for next week, because we've done an hour. We've done an hour on the show, so I'll just save it for next week. Hey, hey, hey. But I'll keep that one in my notes, and I'll see it for next week, and then we'll bring it up. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. This has been the 7th of September live. It's been a beautiful day in sunny central Sheffield here for me. Um, this podcast gets uploaded on Thursdays usually, so it's probably the 9th or after of September for you, but I hope you're enjoying your September. We're moving forward into the last quarter of the year now, aren't we? So keep yourself healthy, keep yourself happy. Um, a little bit of an advert from me then, if you're looking for help with your health and happiness or your fat loss, food and fitness, then please send me a message. Um, or go to slumsociety.co.uk and see who I am and how I can help you. I would love to. We've got over 200 people going through the Six Steps Slim program at the minute. We get amazing results for people. We help people be healthy and happy. And my job is to help you find ways of eating better and moving better if possible um, that fit your lifestyle and make improvements for you. And I love this. It brings me massive fulfillment. I would be honored and love to help you with this, literally. So send me a message if you want help or support with any of those things, or even if you just want to talk about it. If you've got questions or comments, please leave them on. Thank you so much. We'll be back every week. I'll even be back, even if the other guests don't turn up, ladies and gentlemen. But we've got two or three people said they might come next week on News of the Week. So we'll see what happens. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. I'll speak to you and I'll see you again soon.